So, hello, welcome to TTELT, Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers. I'm Dr. Eileen Hale, the COO of our organization, and I have a very wonderful special guest with us today, Brooke Leach Gable. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Eileen. Hi, teachers. <laughs> Brooke uh, and I met each other while she was working as an English language fellow in Kosovo, and I was working as an English language fellow in Albania. We had these regional meetings and some uh, mutual conferences we presented at together, and we became wonderful friends and have kept in touch. Brooke is an elementary ESL teacher, has been teaching for over 15 years, and has some very great expertise, which she presented in Eastern Europe on oral storytelling. And I remembered her presentation from way back when, over almost two years ago now, and reached out to her to share with us today. So again, welcome, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So can you just, for our listeners, explain in your own words what, it's kind of intuitive, but what you mean by oral storytelling and how you got into this technique for your English language learners? So I got into oral storytelling um, through this podcast, not this one we're on right now, through a podcast called The Moth, and you would listen to stories from other people. And I thought that was pretty interesting, just driving to work, listening to on my own, and I thought, hmm, how can I pull this into my classroom? So I did a little bit of, or I did some research on oral storytelling, and Oral storytelling can be a lot of different things. It can be a mother and father sharing stories with their children. It can be um, folk wars that are passed down from generation to generation. It can be traditions that are passed on throughout a family. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have stories about where were we when 9-11 happened or where were your parents when John F. Kennedy was shot? Something big that happened within your family and those stories are passed down from generation to generation. Um, Oral storytelling, historians have found that it's been around for thousands of years before people knew, you know, writing and how to make letters and all of cave drawings. They were telling stories oral, orally. And I think the biggest thing that we, that I learned about oral storytelling was how when you hear a story from someone else, a true story, that that evokes emotion in you. And I think we all know that with our students, the more emotionally connected they feel to stories or to teachers, the higher their language acquisition becomes. So that's a little background on how I got into oral storytelling. That's wonderful. And we can elaborate a little bit more on that as we go along. But again, for our listeners, when you evoke emotion through storytelling, as we know, it brings down your affective filter and helps your English language learners really engage in the story itself rather than worry about the grammatical aspects or the vocabulary of the language. Yet um, within that context, Brooke has brought a lot of ways to actualize vocabulary building through this technique, which she'll get into shortly. But you could just follow up on the importance of storytelling. You had a couple of things to share along those lines as well. So through my research, I found um, this scale called the Do You Know scale um, that was uh, created by Dr. Fivich and Marshall Duke, Dr. Marshall Duke. And they came up with 20 questions that families um, should have their ch ask their children. 
these were questions like, uh, do you know where your mom and dad grew up? Do you know where they went to school? Uh, do you know of any funny stories that happened to your mom or dad or grandma and grandpa when they were little? Do you know the story of your birth? Do you know the story of how you got your name? Um, and the research showed that students who could answer more of these questions about their families, and actually, if you wanna to go to the next slide, I could probably, we could talk a little bit about the research. Yeah. The students who knew more of, could answer more of these questions, they had a higher self-esteem. They felt like they were part of something bigger than just themselves. They were part of a family unit. So stress wasn't as stressful for things. Uh, things that stressed other students maybe didn't stress them out. They felt like they had a greater sense of control over their lives just because they felt that they were part of this bigger picture. And it also led to them having that higher self-esteem and it goes along with feeling emotions. When you have a higher self-esteem, again, that drops your affective filter and you're able to acquire more of the language because you're not so worried about every little tiny grammatical error. Did I use this word right? Am I putting the correct endings on, the right emphasis? You have control over your life. So I started to stress to some of my families in elementary schools now, these 20 questions start to talk about these at the family dinner table. And I have noticed that my students feel more comfortable. They wow. are less stressed out at school. Is there a correlation? I don't know. <laughs> That's wonderful. What was the name of that scale again for our listeners? Do you know scale? And you, if you just Google, do you know scale, you will get lots of different websites. Okay, we'll put that in our notes for our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And moving on, you mentioned the moth. That's M-O-T-H, like the little butterfly, but it's a yes. moth. <laughs> and can you explain to us how you got involved in that? And it, we do have the link. It's called themoth.org mm -hmm. in our notes and how you've incorporated that into your classroom. Right. So like I said earlier, I uh, another English language fellow actually uh, said to me one day, hey, do you listen to this podcast called The Moth? I bet you would like it. So I started listening to it and I didn't just like it. I loved it. And The Moth is a nonprofit organization and they hold these storytelling events throughout the world. And I've actually been to one in Detroit. It was really, really amazing to attend. But wow. people sign up, they're given a theme and they go up and they tell a five minute story to a group of complete strangers who they've never met, that their story has to fit in that theme. And then the 10 people from that night, the audience claps and sort of rates them and there's a winner of the evening. But the moth.org uh, has all the podcasts you can listen to. They even have teacher resources if you want to try doing this in your classroom. Um, it's a great source of information about oral storytelling. So the moth, M-O-T-H dot org. Super. Thank you. I think that'll be a great resource for our listeners around the world, especially since it has a global platform. Yes. Can you just expand a little bit about how you use it in your class? Okay. So what I did, um, I did an oral storytelling workshop for uh, university age students while I was an English language fellow. And we used the moth as part of our introduction. I chose three or four different five minute stories 
that would sort of evoke different emotions. One was a funny one, one was a sad one, one happened um, in America and another one happened in a different part of the world so that we could listen to each one and talk about how they made us feel. We talked about the things that they had in common um, and those types of things led us into the rest of the workshop. So some of the things that each of the four stories I showed had in common were that they all had to have an actual plot where there's some sort of rising action. There's something happening in the story that leads to this climax. And then from that, it comes back down. Even a five minute story has that rise and fall. Another thing that they all had in common was this idea of some sort of conflict. When you have stories, there's always a conflict, whether it's a human versus a human, whether it's human versus nature, like some sort of storm, or you can have human versus society, I've been wronged and I need to prove myself right, or there's stories that are a conflict between the human and within yourself. So those were the things that we talked about in our workshops of how to create these stories that they were going to tell. Um, and on our very first evening together, I asked those students, all right, you've seen uh, four different examples. We've talked about stories and uh, conflict. I want you to write an outline. Think of a story of something that's happened in your life. We chose a very broad topic called the best of times, the worst of times. So they could choose something happy, sad, good, bad, very broad. Yeah. And I said, come next week to our next workshop and have an outline, just bullet points of what you think you want to talk about. So that was our first week. And that's what led us into our workshop. That's fantastic. And you're mentioning workshop, but I'm thinking also just in classroom setting. So you could do this at a regular from class to class if you're taking it at university and or would you generally use this uh, technique for a university or high school level and or is it applicable as well for elementary age students, do you think? Um, I personally have not done storytelling per se with my elementary students. However, we do, you know, shares all the time where yeah. I'll say, oh, you know what? It's the end of the month. We've had a great month. Everybody bring in one thing from home and you have to tell me a story about it. So it's this, I, this bigger idea of oral storytelling brought down to a more elementary beginning level. I think this is applicable at any age of students from children to adults. You're just going to have to adapt it a little bit to their language level. Okay, super. So once they bring their outlines back to class, uh, then where do you go from there? So from there, we have these outlines. And one of the things that I always notice with my students, and I've taught kindergarten through university, is they tend to stick with these pretty common words. You know, so I like to say, let's try to use better words. Let's take the English we know and bump it up a notch, right? Yeah. And then I also like to teach this idea of show me, don't tell me. And we'll talk about this. There's an activity that we'll go into in a minute. Um, but after we talk about those two big ideas of using better words and showing versus telling, I then asked my workshop participants or classroom students um, to turn this outline into a whole story using those better words and trying to show me what they were telling me, trying to show me instead of just tell me what they meant. 
Okay, so yeah, let's go ahead to the concrete example you have. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so this was a, an example that um, my co-teacher and I, we did this workshop together, Dorian and Rakai, um, we came up with this little game activity. And this really, you could do this with writing. It doesn't just have to be with oral storytelling. Um, so the first thing you do is you're gonna pass out cards to every student. Some of the cards will have words that are blue. If a student gets a blue card, their job is to come up with five synonyms for that word. And so the example I gave is pretty. We all know what pretty means, but it's kind of boring. So I said, think above, think beyond. And some of the examples I got from my students were fetching, ravishing, gorgeous, attractive, stunning. Those sound so much better than just, yes, she was pretty, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and then the other half of the class, they're going to get a word that's written in red. If you get a word that's written in red, I ask them to write me a sentence describing how someone doing that word would look. And one of the examples was nervous. So they might say, they would sit in front of the class and go like this. And we would have to guess, oh, she's nervous, right? Or maybe there was a person going, and we would have to yell, oh, they're scared. And then we would turn that into a sentence. So the woman is biting her nails. I know she's nervous because you've showed me what she's doing. Or the woman <gasps> jumped back and gasped. You don't have to tell me she's scared. I could see someone <gasps> jumping back and gasping. So that's that idea of showing versus just telling. She is nervous. He is scared. That's awesome. So you have the students acted out like charades kind of, and then they have yes. to- Yes, the red cards act out like charades, and then we write sentences together. I think I explained that a little bit wrong. And also the, the people with the blue cards, they have to share their five words. So everyone is sharing, and you can do it in small groups, you can do it as individual, wherever your students are, make the groups work or make it individual. If they're higher level English learners and they can do it on their own, let them do it on their own. But everybody shares out. So we're getting lots of examples of the better words and of the showing versus telling. That's an excellent technique for teaching. And whether it's within storytelling or outside of storytelling, these are super techniques. I love it. Thank you for sharing. So go ahead, you can continue on how they then share their stories once they get the better quality stories, the yeah, higher so vocabulary. Now that we have these better quality stories is each person sort of had a pair because I didn't want the entire group to know all of the stories. I wanted it to still be a little bit of a secret for our final presentation. So each person had a pair and that's where we just really provided feedback to each other. Does everything make sense? Do you feel like this maybe could be omitted? I don't understand this. Could you explain a little bit more? Because it was their first time with this oral storytelling and telling a story at all, they needed a little bit of guidance and help. So we did all that in pairs and we provided feedback to each other. And then the biggest thing that we need to do is they were performing this story in front of hundreds of people at their university. They had to practice. 
and practice again and again and again and again. I told all of them to get their hairbrush and set a timer on their phone and practice in the mirror with paper up, paper down, because they had to get it in their heart. They had to feel the story. So practice, practice, practice. That's amazing. So did they have the written script with them when they were telling the stories or they would just use it as notes or no no notes? They did not know when we had our final event, like I said, there were hundreds of university students that ended up coming. Um, They did not have any notes. It was all, they had to know it in their head and they had to know it in their heart because that's also part of the moth. You don't get to stand up and tell a story with the moth if you have notes in front of you. This is something that you've worked on that's in your head and it's in your heart and you perform it for everyone. Now, that's amazing. That's another children, or if we have intermediate level ELs, having some notes is always acceptable. But I knew that my university students could handle it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I'm thinking about the skill sets beyond even you have to learn to write it, right? You have to learn to act it. But then to get up in front of an audience to speak at that level in front of an audience, and- even if it's only your classroom audience, that's a big enough audience right there too to start with, right? Right. But we opened it up to the university. So they were, it was performing and there was a stage and there was a microphone. So they were performing. They had to learn where I think this, I might get a laugh here. So let me pause, or I want to let this note, this part sink in. So let me stop so that people can really think about what I just said. So yeah, there's the writing, there's the performing, there's the um, feedback back and forth, the editing, it's many, many, many different skills. Yeah, and a lot of that you can do both in and outside the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And you could have them edit each other's stories outside the classroom and then right. come back in to do the brainstorms for higher vocabulary and all that. Um, and did you find the feedback process really helpful for each other, even to build that confidence and support each other's learning? Oh, absolutely. I, I liked to sit and listen to the different pairs talking and try to keep my mouth quiet as much as possible. And they really were providing quality feedback. They were saying, hmm, I think that you could find a better word here. Or like I said before, I really don't understand this part. Can you explain it to me? And they would work together on how to make it an oral story that you could see in your head and the listener would understand so it was an amazing thing to watch as an educator knowing yeah. this was their first time and oh, they're doing it <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing you succeeded as an educator yeah. yeah you had a quote you wanted to share with us i know you had many but we chose one to, for our listeners so this one was touching so on during our evening it was like a three-hour performance i think we ended up with 13 or 14 different storytellers and they told stories that were funny about a little girl getting in a car and putting it into drive and rolling down a hill when she was a child Um, we had another girl tell a story about when three of her puppies passed away in the same week so there were so many different emotions but i think that picret here his really hit everyone um because this was told in Kosovo and his father was part of the army um, during their liberation and he passed away during a fight. Uh, I don't know all of the details because he 
talked about when it happened to him, but not about how it happened. Um, and until this night, he had not talked about it with anyone at the university. They knew his father passed away, but they didn't know the day that they were sitting down at dinner, that they saw it on the news. And that's how they found out that they didn't get a phone call. And the love that Fikret felt from this entire auditorium of people. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> I know I can feel it even through our conversation. I can't imagine. They, yeah. It was, and Fikret turned into a different gentleman. Really? After he told his story, he became more open with me. He became more open with the rest of his fellow peers at school. So for him, telling this story was something he needed to do. So that's amazing. Do you want to read the quote for our- I can, I'm sorry. So I chose to talk about the loss of my father. I wanted to finally talk about this to others and move on. The big day came and I was nervous and stressed. I didn't know how people would react to my story. I felt so much love and respect from the professor and students. After it finished, people came to hug me and told me to be strong. And that's from Fikret Kastriati. And he was one of our storytellers. Actually, he was the winner of our storytelling. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's amazing. And you know, it is through the sharing of stories, you not only build a community of learners within your classroom, within your university, because again, you evoke those emotions and empathy for one, one another's stories. We all have different stories that nobody knows about. And when you open that door, it really brings change for everybody, right? And how you treat each other, how you see each other, and how you become, again, a community for learning together. And I think it touches back on that whole, do you know scale where children and they felt better when they knew these things about their family. But when we know things like this about our peers and our friends, it also creates this bigger sense of belonging. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. So just to summarize for our listeners, your top teaching tips, again, we have the moth.org, which is in our notes for you. And we yes. will also put the do you know scale in our notes. Can you just summarize some of these points you had also mentioned making storytelling part of your weekly schedule if possible? Yeah, I think if this is something that you would like to try in your class, it you can't just do it once and be done. You need to make it part of your regular routine. So like I said earlier, we come to the end of the month and my students know at the end of the month, you're going to bring in an object and we're going to talk about it. If you have time in your schedule, make it part of every week. Maybe on Fridays, you assign two students and throughout the year, you go through the list of your class. They may not get to tell, they won't get to tell a story every week, maybe only once or twice in a school year, but it's better than having zero opportunities to do it. And then they get to hear from everybody in the class. Um, so you have to work it around your schedule. Um, with my beginnings, like I, my beginning English learners, I like to have them bring in an object. An object is more concrete for them than a theme because they're learning English. So a theme of tell me about a day you were happy, they'll say, mm, I got to eat pizza. Mm, I want more. Pull, I'm trying to pull more out of them. And they usually can tell me more about an object because they can see it, feel it, touch it, smell it, all of those senses. Yeah. Um, with your intermediate, sorry, Eileen, did you want to jump in? No, I was going to say, because then you can also go into the senses, right? And all five senses and explain why the object is, has meaning for them. Right, right. 
for your intermediate and your highs, I think that they're at that point ready to choose a, to choose a theme and their story will fit around that theme. Um, for intermediates, I would say, let them take notes, let them do bullet points, let them write it out first. As their English level increases, so they become higher level English learners, we're gonna take away, we call it scaffolding. We remove some of that prep time. So they maybe don't get to write a whole story. Maybe they get to write three bullet points and they know that this is the beginning, the middle and the end, right? So we take away some of that pre-work that they're doing as their English level goes Okay, wonderful. Those are great tips for our listeners. Thank you for sharing all those. And for our audience, don't forget the end of every month, we have our TTELT talks. This is a time when we invite you to talk and share your concerns, your questions, how we can have a community of English language teachers and professors from around the world and help each other, support each other, especially during COVID and all these challenges. We still have to teach online or hybrid, however you're teaching right now. <laughs> it depends on where you are living, even in America. So join us. We have two times on Saturday, September 25th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time or 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We offer these two time zones for people around the world. And again, thank you for listening. Join our events. We have our two workshops this month. You can register at our website, ttelt.org under events. Email us with any comments, questions. If you have other people you'd like us to interview or yourself, you have a great tip to share, please email us, ttelt.info at gmail.com. And thank you so much, Brooke, our special guest today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your teaching day to join us and share your special tips on oral storytelling. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much.